Welcome everybody to Summer School, a space for the woke, witty, and sometimes ratchet educator, for our educator allies who just want to get it right, for those who want the real inside scoop of the day-to-day -day joys and woes of working with black and brown children, families, and communities, for those who know black and brown educators are needed, multi-dimensional, and sometimes just petty as hell. So I started my career as a special education teacher. I taught in self-contained classrooms, not maxing more than about 12 students, and I was a co-teacher. We often have to practice drills in schools, like lockdown drills, fire drills, depending on what region you're in, it might be an earthquake drill or a tornado drill. During this time in my career, I was in a part of the country where tornado drills are serious. So on this day during this drill, I have a classroom of about eight students with mild to moderate learning disabilities and a few with physical disabilities. So it's showtime. The alarm goes off. Now I prided myself on having a strong classroom culture. So I wasn't about to be that teacher with the class that's cutting up and can't do a drill. So we exit the class and go into the hallway. In a normal setting, kids face the lockers, crouch down and cover their heads. So I get my class in the hall, and they standing there looking at the locker. I'm like, fam, what, what are y'all doing? Hell, I gotta crouch down too, once y'all get settled. I got one kid who generally falls asleep in the middle of saying hello. So she looking at me, I'm looking at her, she looking at me, and then just asks, what is she supposed to do? Then I have another student who's on walking crutches with braces on her legs. Lord, bless her heart. I was like, fam. Now, I done seen you twerking in the cafeteria. So I know you can get down. So I snatched them crutches out of her hand like, girl, go ahead, get down. Now I look down the lockers. Let's call her Stacy. She's dealing with a little bit childhood obesity. I said, what are you waiting for? She's like, I'm not finna get down on this dirty floor with these dirty kids. I said, well, I have to get down on this dirty floor with these dirty kids too. She said, miss, if I get down, I ain't gonna be able to get back up. I was like, man, she probably got a point. Let me leave her alone. She'll know what to do if a tornado comes. It's time for professional development. Here we'll connect with the guests or I'll explore a topic that's meant to challenge our thoughts and sometimes just say the things we've all been thinking. Summer school is officially in session. Our next guest holds an American Speech Language Hearing Association Certification of Clinical Competence and a Speech Language Pathology California State License. She received a Bachelor's of Science degree in Speech Language Pathology and Audiology from the Howard University, HU, <laughs> and a Master of Arts in Speech and Hearing Science from George Washington University. Well, you sure are uh, decorated, got all kinds of certifications and degrees. Go ahead, girl. Uh, she has provided services for children and adults such as uh, voice disorders, 
accent modification and literacy, pediatric language disorders, the list goes on and on. She currently works as a speech language pathology assistant supervisor in the public school setting. She enjoys spending time with her family and friends and challenging herself professionally and personally through learning new experiences and reading. Welcome, Etika Onuba. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about this. Yes. So in good summer school fashion, we want to share just some funny moments, right? Like there's some things that we see and experience in school settings that nobody would really understand but us. So I would love to hear from you just within your profession in or out of the school setting, uh, something that you've experienced that's been funny or just like, I can't believe I'm experiencing this right now. Um, so many. Um, so I, I would say the funniest one that I've experienced this year, um, so one of my assistants, so as a supervisor, I, I provide two speech and language pathology assistants at different school sites. So one of them came to me and expressed that she thought the previous provider for one of the students basically forged their notes and enlightened their notes because they indicated that a nonverbal student can speak. Oh, wow. And I said, um, well, that's illegal. So I'm not sure about that. Um, but also, I know the other assistant. It is my other assistant. So I talked to her, and turns out the student was pretending to be nonverbal for <gasps> like three months into the school. <laughs> yeah. And so, but it was easy for the student to do it because the student was a ninth grader. So no one at the school knew that the student could actually speak. So, yeah, he was playing a game, and I had to bust him out. I was like, I know, you know, your previous provider. She's my assistant, and she told me you can talk. So he started talking. Oh, my God. This boy <laughs> so, walking around here not talking. Not talking. So busted, too. Like, he um, and he was in one of the ID classes, so I also think people, like, believe that he maybe can't speak. You know, they just left it alone, and, you know, I'm sure he probably used that to his advantage. I mean, our students with intellectual disabilities, you know, they know what they're doing a lot of the time. So, yeah, that's wow. my favorite moment of, of this career. See, people be so underestimating far. these kids. Yeah. They underestimate them. Uh, so I, I want us to jump into our conversation today. And it's really something that actually sparked my idea to start a podcast because I remember sitting and thinking about these school shootings that kept happening and happening and happening in these areas that honestly a lot of black and brown folks don't live in these areas. And right. there were times where it's just like, I don't ever fear that a school shooting will ever happen in a school that I taught or led at. So it's just been this question on my mind on why don't these mass school shootings happen in the hood? Like, what is it in, in urban school settings that, 
makes us any different from a rural setting or these white suburbia areas. So as a professional, typically working in urban schools and in an area where we see gun violence occurring, do you personally, Etika, fear a school shooting happening? Why or why not? Yes. Um, I'm constantly thinking about it more so. Um, I'm working in a predominantly African-American um, school setting, or multiple school settings that are more in predominantly African-American neighborhoods. And I didn't expect to feel that way in these types of environments, but I do. Um, one of my major concerns is the lack of communication. Mm. As a service provider, um, I'm not on, you know, the email that gets sent out to teachers, you know, on a regular basis. So I'm often left out of conversations and communication. Um, but honestly, sometimes I don't mind. There are a lot of yeah. things that just have nothing to do with me. So I don't mind being um, left out of, you know, that correspondence. However, um, when it comes to my safety, I think it's unacceptable. While I was working in Boyle Heights a couple years ago, I walked up to the gate and buzzed. No one answered. I stood there for a few minutes. I thought, that's strange. I know school isn't closed, and I know all those people that work in the office aren't busy. So I started to walk back to my car. I ran into another school employee in he said, oh, there's a gun in their campus, and that's probably why they didn't let you in. So it turns out the gunman had actually over the gate of, like, a house into the school lunch area. Wow. So he did actually come onto the campus. Um, so I found that out later. But that thing would tell me. Um, so there are so many ways that someone could have let me know about that. They could have talked to me through the speaker at the gate. Hey, we can't let you in right now. This is on lockdown. But they have that capability to do that. They could have texted me. They could have called me. They could have emailed me. We were provided with uh, cell phones for work. So there's no excuse for any type of communication to not come through to my phone. Mm -hmm. So then I was like, okay, they're not concerned about my safety. Um, because what if walking up to the gate, I would have run into the gunman. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was working at multiple campuses. So I would sometimes go back and forth between my school sites. So that's something I need to know. It, it, it's not odd for me to be walking up to a site at noon. You know, I'm not only coming in at 8 and leaving at 4. You know, I'm in and out. So anyway, yeah. um, I did express my concerns to my supervisor, and she was just like, oh. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, you know, what's really going on here? Because why do we have these cell phones if we're not sending mass texts about mm -hmm. things like this? Yep. They're sending out emails. You know, I can protect myself right away, but they didn't even give me the option to protect myself, um, and they weren't willing to protect me either. So, you know, I'm just like, okay, they don't value my safety in my life. Um, there's no excuse for that. Um, so now I'm with a new charter network, and I don't feel any better. I actually feel a little worse. That was one incident, and that was 
an adult off-site mm-hmm. um, in the neighborhood. But there have been multiple incidents or scares, um, what they call them sometimes, that I didn't know about until after they occurred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're, we're at the place where we have to forego the traditional methods of how we used to do lockdown drills and, and things like that. Those Those are our old ways that are, are, aren't going to prevent a, a shooting from occurring nor equip us in the actual instance that something happens. And one, one reason why, you know, uh, these mass shootings take place or not even take place, but they happen and folks don't know is because of the lack of communication. We don't have those immediate steps in place that are widely known by adults or your security or whomever on campus on how, what message goes out, how it goes out, and how we're consistently in the moment following up on that communication. So we have several means from Remind to our text thread to email to the intercom on campus to where if something were to happen, I I want to practice this. I want you to know these are the ways in which we're going to communicate with you if this is something that's going to happen on our campus. Because primarily, yes, we want to keep our students safe, but we owe it to our families as well to come home. So we we just have to do, I think, a different job at this point of protecting ourselves in, in this, this space. And with that, I I want to highlight this idea of mass school shootings and like the geographic and demographics in which it primarily impacts. So in the last decade, we've experienced about 180 school shootings and roughly 350 or so injuries or deaths that have occurred from this. Although, you know, you and I work in urban school settings and our students, we have experienced uh, gun violence either directly or indirectly in our neighborhoods, Mass school shootings aren't happening in our schools. We're we're seeing them happen in these white suburban schools, typically by white men, while school is in session. I've had instances where there's been a school shooting maybe down the street from my school, after school, or maybe during a, a football game or something, we have to go on lockdown, but not necessarily when 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 school is in session or on my campus. Why do you believe this is this is true? Um, because they think they can. Like, mm. I don't. Well, I don't really have a better answer than that. Honestly, I think there's a certain level of community that our black and brown students have that may be um, deterring them from committing such horrific acts of violence. In schools, um, you know, they may have siblings in the school. They may have cousins in the school, depending on the age differences. You know, and I can may have aunts and uncles. You never know. And so, I think a part of our this cultural norms of, of being really family oriented and looking mm-hmm. out for people, whether they are blood related to you or not. I think that may that could be related to um, our occurrence of this being minimal to none. Um, I think it's it's very different for 
than white American males. Yeah. I think you are, they are not raised having many boundaries, in my opinion. Um, and in some instances, that's a great thing, right? When it's in terms of career and education, you can be anything you want to be. You can go anywhere you want to go. I will fully support you. I will put you through college. I will put you through law school. Like, in that, in that way, I think it's great to, like, not encourage, um, you know, boundaries or, or, like, restrictions, I guess. And you can do whatever you want. But I think there's a sense of entitlement yeah. that a lot of our peers have or that we're raised with me and they're not aware. Um, when you're not, when you're not back around, you're just living a totally different life. Um, and we are constantly reminded and having to live by so many restrictions and conditions and rules, you know, like so many rules. Rules are just a thing. And I'm not sure it's always that way for them. And I don't want to, I guess, I mean, I, I just can't help but think that that has to be a part of it, you know? And I think, we, I don't know that it can just go that far with us sometimes, right? Like, you feel like, well, my mom said, I don't want to embarrass my family. Like, my grandma is going to get me, right? And I know it's more serious than that, right? But I think a lot of times that's what prevents our kids from doing certain things, like the shame that you bring to your family. Yeah, I think that, honestly, our kids like us. And and I'm I'm not, not, you know, shaming any other uh, community of educators, but there is a sense of comfort and love and relationship and trust that's built, I think, in the school setting, especially for for black and brown children. And I think growing up, our parents are like, y'all go to school, you do what they tell you to do, you go there, you learn. And it's never been a place that has caused such fear in us or hatred to where we have to take out these educators or people that our parents have told us to trust and respect. So I think that there are also too many ills in our society for our students to be focused on as opposed to coming to school and shooting something up, right? Like. Some of my kids are concerned about, like, I need to provide food for my family or I need to get to work or I need to go pick up my little brother and sister or all these other things that they need to focus on. And my focus is not about to be on taking lives at a place that I actually enjoy coming to. Yeah, when you are a young black or brown person, oftentimes you're not able to just really think about yourself, right? And like, I'm just so upset that this person at school said this to me, or, you know, I feel like I'm isolated, I don't have many friends. Like, those things, like you said, this is really not that big of a deal for our kids. They have all these other things that they're thinking about, you know. Yeah. I wish they had more time to think about themselves and take care of themselves. But it's just not the reality for a lot of our students. Yeah. I mean, they find school as a place to socialize, to play, to connect with people, to eat. Like, they ain't trying to mess up that blessing. They're not trying to mess up that that safety and comfort 
for themselves. And I think far too often, for far too many reasons, um, I have to explain our children grapple with the impact of societal injustices flooding their neighborhood and overall stability. And it's not fair. And they just ain't got time to be running a, ruining a semi-calm environment for themselves. They're not trying to do that. So I agree with you. So how about this though? So in these predominantly uh, suburban areas where, you know, or schools where these shootings may be happening, their peers and their, their staff look just like them. Mm. And so that is something that should be explored too, right? Like when our students look at us, they may see mm. their aunt, their mom, their older sister, right? Especially if, you know, we're fairly young still. But why do our students see that? And our white students do not. And that's to say like, I won't do this. You know, this person is just like my mom. You know, this wow. is like my grandmother. You know, and I think that's something that should be explored, the connection that they may have with their teachers and, you know, their administrative staff. I, I, I truly believe that there is, and we should, we should do a little bit more research around this, but there's a, a psychological, I think, makeup, like that's just different when they build their mindset around the entity of school and the people that are in schools, as opposed to the mindset of a black or brown student, when they go to school and they think about this entity of school. And I think there's such a heavy emphasis and this can be to our benefit or detriment in black and brown schools of like, you have to build relationships with these kids. You have to get them to trust you. You have to do that or you're not going to be able to teach them or, or all that. So there's that step that's there that they, they're building these relationships. I don't know to the extent that that happens in white suburbia where they feel like I have to build relationships with all of my students and I have to get them to trust them or they won't let me teach them. I don't know that that's there. I don't think so, right? Because we encourage that because we know that our students don't have the luxury of only thinking about their academics, right? But in these other areas, their students have the luxury of doing so. I wake up, I go to school, I learn. I'm not worried about, you know, whether our lights will be on or if someone's going to be able to help me with my homework. My mom is sleep you know, when I get home because she works overnight, you know, all of these things that some of our students think about, um, I just don't think they have to think about that. So the relationship building isn't as much of a priority. We have to be able to ease their mind so that they can learn. And so they're already coming in with so much, some of them, right? Not all of our students are having these issues, which is something I think also has to be highlighted more within our educational, I don't know, community, like, not all of our students are struggling. Yeah. <laughs> some are like, you know, some some of our students are doing just fine, but for those, those who are not, you know, they the relationship is important because we have to try and just make it comfortable for them to learn. Yeah. So, we, to my knowledge, 
I've not heard of a mass shooting uh, done by a black or brown student in a in a school or in a church or like in any major public em- environment. And I don't want that to happen. So I'm trying to figure out what is what's my duty or what is our duty as professionals in these in the school settings to prevent mass shootings from happening or you know is it only a matter of time we have all these copycat things we're seeing mental health services surging in our schools based on the things that students are experiencing suicidal ideation all of these things and we're starting to see this increase in mental health services so is it only a matter of time before we see this happen in one of our schools or what is it that we can do to just better prevent it from happening? Yeah, so I'm so with you that we need to focus more on prevention. Um, so I've asked to be trained. Like, can I please take mm. a course on, like, how to respond when something like this happens? Which, again, is something that I feel like I'm being left out of because I'm not on a school site you know, all day, I'm not a full-time employee of anyone school. However, I am responsible for students. Yep. If I told them for a session to test them, they're just with me. You know, they're in my chair. I'm responsible for that student. So these are things that I need to know. No one has followed up with me. Mm. Um, so I'm like, again, the sense of urgency that I feel and I just not it's just never been reciprocated from anyone that I've worked with. Uh, my safety and my knowledge. Um, so again, you know, at school, parents are trusting that their kids will come home, and that all the adults at school are going to protect their children. Um, but I'm just not equipped with the tools to do so. I would obviously implement, you know, common sense. But that's not the best defense against a shooter and a gun. Yeah. You know, even if it is a child, this 13-year-old could be pointing a gun at me. So it doesn't matter that I'm an adult, right? And so I'm like, okay, the obvious, lock the doors, hide, shield the kids. Like, you know, it's like you go first, you know, in these situations. We're expected to go first. Yep. We're expected to stand in front of the kids and, and take the bullets if, if that's what it comes down to, unfortunately. And I just think a conversation needs to be had with students about this issue, a different conversation. Mm. Like, hey, this is school shootings happen. Uh, this is how we can prevent them, and these are some of the reasons why bullying or people feeling alone or sometimes people are just struggling. Right, but that's risky because some students are so impressionable, and that may encourage them to commit these kinds of acts. So we don't want that. Um, I think one thing we can definitely do more of, which I hope schools are already doing, but I'm not on the administrative level, so I don't know. Encourage students to report concerns and let them know that they'll be protected. Like. Yeah. If you heard so-and-so is giving a gun to school, you need to tell us. We're not going to make it obvious that you're the one who told us. But you need to let us know. Right? Guns are not cool. 
and if somebody's going to go to school, it's probably because they're trying to kill somebody at school. You don't want that to be you. I think we need to more so just make it real for them. You know, nobody wants, it's not cool to be a snitch when you're in school, but realize the seriousness of that student could take your life. Whether you're friends or not, you just may be hit by a bullet. Don't think that because it's someone you may know that you won't come into their line of fire. Um, I do think it's only a matter of time. Oh, no. Like I said, I mean, we've, we've started to have scares at some of the places that we work, yeah. right? So it's, it's getting closer, which is really scary. Um, I really do think it's only a matter of time, unfortunately. You know, it, they, these incidents weren't only going to stay in white suburbia, right? No, right? Because our, our kids also have access to guns. Yeah. Whether they decide to bring them to school or not is another thing. Um, I just, I know that there was once a time when black and brown families didn't have to think about this so much. Uh, it's just not the case anymore. And I think we really got to do something about it. And it's, it's really unfortunate because I think our students are disproportionately exposed to violence anyway. Um, and so it, it, it's sad that now school just is not going to be the, the safe place for them that it, that it once used to be. I, I think that being transparent is definitely our friend, right? Being transparent with students when these things are happening in our nation, these are some of the reasons why it happens. And to prevent, you know, that that student, like, it triggering them to actually participate in it, again, those relationships are so critical for every student in a, in a, a school setting to have at least one or two adults in the building where they feel like they can come and talk to you about personal things in their lives. We know that there are boundaries, but they can express how they're feeling. They can express if they're they're feeling depression or suicide or things are happening at home so that we then can tap into the resources that we have to support that student. Um, encouraging students to report is so critical. I There's a school that, that I'm familiar with that a, a mass school shooting was prevented because there were a few students that heard through the grapevine that this student had a gun and wanted to shoot shoot up the school and they went and told the administrators and teachers immediately and come to find out that student had access to the gun they had thorough plans to carry this out and it was prevented and this was in an urban school but it was prevented because of relationships. It was prevented because students knew what to do. They knew that I need to go talk to an adult about this because this is serious. So kudos to that school for having those relationships with those kids and preparing them for something like this. But that's not the case. That's not the case for every school. And I I pray that it's not only a matter of time, but if we're not being transparent with our kids and being thoughtful about the relationships we're building, it's, it's a strong possibility. I 100% agree with your point about transparency. I think our students really value that. And I think that how we build those relationships where they can trust us, 
Right. We want you to come to us if you hear someone has a gun. We want you yeah. to come to us if you're being sexually abused. Yep. Whatever it is. And we will protect you, right? By however we have to do it, we're going to do that. And I just don't think not being transparent with our students is not going to work. And it doesn't work in our communities either. Yep. Right? It's yep. just not a way that we can really operate as communities of, of people of color. Yep. I wouldn't say that that's a really common thing amongst us. We're very honest. Sometimes we're too honest, right? That's why a lot of our children have the burden of some of the thoughts of responsibility because yeah. of the transparency, right? I think there is a fine line, but I, I agree that we just have to keep it real with them and let them know what's going on and how they can protect themselves and their peers. And we can keep our campuses safe because that's what we want. Yep. Thank you for, for sharing for sharing that. I I think that we we know what to do and we are educators in, in spaces where we have influence and I want to encourage you, Etika, to keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing until you feel a level a, a level of comfort and safety to be in these spaces because we we value you as an educator and you know it's unfortunate that that some schools aren't being thoughtful about this process and and keeping staff and students safe but hopefully through more conversations like this it'll spark something within within educators leaders district leaders to be proactive um, about this so thank you miss etica i hope so you are welcome i and thank am thank you for sharing your insight too for sure for sure i am going to shift us quickly to uh another segment in, in our show, Cold Call, Letter from an Educator. So here I have a question, a little scenario here, and I think you would be awesome at helping to navigate, help this person navigate this situation, which I think quite a few people experience. All right, you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> All right, here we go. So I'm just going to say it. I don't like my co-teacher. The thing is, they are a really <laughs> okay. Transparent. Transparency. Get to the point. Okay. <laughs> the thing is, they are a really decent teacher. I just don't like them as a person. And yes, they are black. They always have an opinion about something or complaining. It's like, dog, just do your damn job and go home. Why must you bring that negative energy everywhere you go? It's almost to the point where I feel like it's impacting our synergy in the classroom and ultimately will impact kids. I feel like it's not my place to speak on something that isn't directly dealing with instruction. I don't know. Shit is just hella annoying. What do I do? I know the year is basically over and thank God for virtual learning, but I have to teach with them next year. Okay, so is this teacher also... Is the teacher black or brown? Ooh, they didn't indicate that. They just said that. I'm assuming. I'm assuming that they're black because they said in the intro, like, I don't like them as a person, and yes, black. they're black. Yeah, so I'm assuming they're black too. Okay, so basically, this person has a co-teacher that is does a good job at teaching, mm-hmm. but just is an annoying person. <laughs> right. And negative person. Right. right. Okay. 
And so they're not sure if they should address it because it seems more like subjective and personal and not professional. Right. Okay. So when you have a co-teacher, so do, is it more of like I'm the lead and you're the co, or is it like co like we're fifty fifty? In the in a true co-teaching model, you all split responsibilities. You all are both lead teachers. You all both have. In the, tr- the true model is supposed to be, but sometimes it's like the general ed teacher, sped teacher, but, you know, I don't know if they even have that relationship to, to set up a mm-hmm. true co-teaching model. So I will say that this just sounds like an annoying situation to be in in general. In general, exactly. <laughs> I think having to share your space in your teaching style and modify what you want to do to to make sure it makes sense with somebody else. Like, it just seems like a bit extra work. And I think, like, you know, probably having, like, a teaching assistant is, like, better than having a co-teacher, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think that model is a more successful model. But anyway, I do think that this should be addressed. And I think uh, you should find the best way to go about it, right? So, I would probably look in at me mm-hmm. and not say, like, I can't stand them. <laughs> but I would say, like, hey, do you have any professional development um, coming up about relationship building or connecting with your co-teacher and how to, like, really maximize that relationship? Like, well, I think we can use a refresher in that every once in a while. I would probably approach it that way so it doesn't seem so personal. I mean, unfortunately, there's so many annoying people that work at school. Yeah. Like, Because people it are is, people. You um, have an environment. People are people, and some people are able to separate who they are from their job. Yeah. But some people want to be who they are outside of school while they're at work. It, it is so annoying. Um, there are literally teachers that I would just, like, avoid only communicate with via email or just hope to not see them because some of them are just crazy. Um, so I think I would I would do it that way. I would maybe suggest like some team building exercises to admin like, you know, oh I have an idea for some PD. I think often I'm sure at some point admin says like are there any professional development sessions that you all think that we should have? Mm-hmm. So I would take that opportunity to suggest it then. Or I would just write in. Um, and I think people can read between the lines, right? But I think that would definitely show you being proactive. This person is going to be with you next year, too. So it's something yeah. that I think has to be addressed. Yeah. Because there will be a moment of, like, a blow-up. <laughs> we don't yeah. have that. I, th- I think there, there are two ways that we could you could attach this, attack this. If you're a direct person... And you pretty much go to the source with with problems. I don't know, like your your like background or or things like that or the type of personality you have. But if you're a pretty direct person, I would keep this centered. It is about the students. So you mentioned in your letter that you are afraid that it's gonna impact your synergy in the classroom and start to impact kids. So it's at the point where a conversation needs to be had. And if you're tactful, there's a way you can approach that conversation in saying something 
you know, our our working relationship is often, I believe, is going to start to impact kids. And here are some examples of where I felt like, you know, maybe something shouldn't have been said or done and it impact our, our synergy. That's if you if you are a direct person. Think about that. People need to start that. on your shit. Go have your own candid mm-hmm. conversation. No, no, no. That sounds great, right? But if you if this person is negative, they're probably defensive. Okay. Insensitive. Okay. Right? Someone who's always complaining and yada yada, they may be a combination of defensive and sensitive. Yeah. Like clearly they're not able to just let things roll off at work, right? They're always complaining. So I think they are not able to, one, express what the real issue is. Okay. They may be complaining about something that happened and there may be a real issue. Like, this person may have an issue with, like, communicating their actual feelings and what they're experiencing. Yeah. And also, what does that have to do with what we're doing in the classroom? Because if it's nothing, then that's something you need to manage outside. So I think that's a great approach with someone who I feel like has the capacity yeah. To have that conversation, I'm not confident that this person can, given that they're always complaining. Yeah. Well, the second approach there that that I would say is absolutely looping in admin. Absolutely, mm-hmm. they they're gonna have to be the one that um, is is the appropriate mediator, and hopefully they're unbiased and have the skills to be able to bring out the root uh, issue. And be able to help to problem solve there. And if it's that bad, uh, hopefully the administrator notices like, hmm, I don't know about this relationship. Or we need to figure out some solutions because at the end of the day, students' education is on the line. So I don't know, folks. Y'all heard the situation. Some of you all out there are probably dealing with something similar or have uh, coworkers that are dealing with it. Give us your, your insight, your your input on this topic. I would love to hear more about it. Um, Etika, thank you again for hopping on the Summer School Podcast. I appreciate Yay. you. Yay. So, folks, if you all have any questions, comments, uh, any suggestions, please reach out to us at info at thesummerschoolpodcast.com. Follow us on IG, the Summer School Podcast. And we look forward to connecting with you all soon. Thank y'all for joining us on the Summer School Podcast. If something stood out to you in our conversation today, if there's a topic you would like for us to explore or hell, even if you are a woke, witty, or petty educator and want to be featured, drop us a line at info at thesummerschoolpodcast.com.